Welcome back to the Make Account Podcast. I'm Marcus Meir, founder of Meir Group CPAs and the Total Control Accounting System. And I'm Tyler Warner, small business owner with a lot of accounting questions. All right, Tyler, I'm excited for today's episode. We have a guest, and that guest is Stephen Jarvis, CEO and head CPA at Retirement Tax Services. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing really great. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Good. Tell us a little bit about kind of your background and what you guys have going on with retirement tax services. Yeah, so I am a CPA and a lot of my experience is probably whatever your listeners are thinking of as stereotypical CPA land, probably not too far off. I've worked for some of the nation's largest firms doing a lot of accounting work. I've uh, been doing it for more than 10 years. And about a year ago, I took this big shift in what I was doing. And really, the, the primary goal was to really focus on the impact we're having directly on on individuals. So I spend all of my time now collaborating with financial advisors uh, and there are shared clients to make sure that people aren't getting killed in taxes. So we spend time with advisors on education and training. We spend time with taxpayers on how do we not overpay the IRS, but it's really all around this concept. Gotcha. And so I was, you know, you and I connected on LinkedIn and, um, I've really been just kind of following from afar and honestly admiring how, how like the specificity of you guys, you know, everybody talks about niching and I think we'll probably get into that in a little bit in terms of how you guys have been able to position yourselves as helping advisors and kind of building out solutions for them to better manage their, their tax, you know, manage the tax situation with their clients. Um, but what I want to, what I want to get from you is kind of a high level of, when you started this path, what was the thinking about the significance of the CPA and financial advisor working together and kind of give us some ideas of how you've seen that relationship benefit taxpayers? Yeah, so I'd say for CPAs and financial advisors both, as you're starting out on either of those career paths, you're constantly told, hey, go to Chamber of Commerce, go to networking events, whatever you want to call them, and network with centers of influence, COIs. And for advisors, CPAs definitely make the list of COIs, and for CPAs, the uh, the reverse. Uh, and so I think we're told real early in our careers to work with each other. And then that never really happens in practice for a variety of reasons. I think on the CPA side, most of us get this idea in our head that a financial advisor is a clever term for an insurance salesman who wants to steal our soul. Um, <laughs> and for financial advisors, they kind of get this idea that CPAs are these uh, crotchety old guys. Uh, I, I know lots of great women CPAs, but that's, this is the idea. This crotchety old right. guy in his, <laughs> in his cave of an office that does taxes and then disappears for six months. And so we're, we're trying to change all that. And we just finished our first tax season embracing this model of let's collaborate. And I got to tell you, it was phenomenal. The amount of uh, value we're able to add to taxpayers by combining the more in-depth knowledge that a lot of financial advisors have about their clients, because they meet with them throughout the year, they look at their whole financial picture, and then taking the expertise on the tax side of making sure that all this is getting reported to the IRS correctly, and we're identifying those opportunities to kind of sand off the rough edges of how much you owe the IRS. It's been great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, like Stephen, what are the biggest advantages of that you've seen when, when that collaboration happens, like for a client? 
Yeah, for the client, and that's honestly that's where we're getting a lot of the positive feedback from. What I've seen, as far as that that most common thing I'm hearing that positive feedback on, is that this collaboration really takes my team to the next level of how much we lean in and go beyond simply filing the tax return. Because as part of this collaboration, we also have established year-round relationships with the taxpayers. We we've just said made clear to everyone right out of the gate, we're going to be involved the whole year. So in and so what that what that means is that when we're going through tax season, when we're leading up to the deadline, we're not just thinking about, hey, I need to get this return filed and move on. And so as I'm meeting with taxpayers, as I'm having these review conversations with them, we take a little bit longer and we, we explain some things. We explain how the things their advisor did with them showed up on the tax return. Here's where your solo 401k contribution came in. Here's how, how we knew how much you could put into that. Here's where your qualified charitable distribution was left out of your taxable income. And the number of taxpayers I had who have worked with CPAs for years who would say, no one's ever explained that to me before. Thank you so much. Or the advisors then coming in and saying, oh, the fact that you sent me a draft return before we finalized it, this is phenomenal. The advisor's able to weigh in with, hey, did we make sure we captured all these things? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's interesting because it sounds like, you know, just kind of talking with you that, you know, one of the things we kind of say around here is that in terms of tax and tax prep and in and, and, and our firm, we do. So it sounds like a lot of the groundwork you guys are doing, obviously, is on the tax side with financial planners. And so we have a similar model where we're doing that on the accounting side. Right. So we're we're forecasting, hey, what's your tax liability going to be just based on what your business makes? But yeah. one of the things we often say is that the tax return really is should be if you've been working together, the end of the engagement, not the beginning. So is, has that been kind of an approach you guys have taken where a lot of times because you're taking this approach, the taxpayer is getting a no surprise planned out tax event because you guys have planned for it throughout the year and been meeting? Yeah, so I think we look at it a little bit differently, but end up with the same result. And some of that's just timing of, of when we've started this model. For some of these taxpayers, this is the first time they're working with us, uh, and then we're going to plan with them throughout the year. But the goal being that it's this continual cycle, and I liked what you said in there of no surprises, because that, yeah. that's one of the more painful things for taxpayers. And I know you work a lot with business owners. This can be especially painful for business owners if you don't have someone in your corner looking out for you throughout the year, because as a business owner, no... This, uh, you're not a W-2 employee. Somebody's not magically pulling taxes out for you. If you're not planning ahead, you're in for nasty surprises at tax time. Right. And so having right. somebody like like you're describing that you work together throughout the year so there's no surprises at the end, yeah, that, that's a game changer. Yeah, so it sounds like we're kind of we're you guys are at the beginning of this, but working towards that where it's like, hey guys, we've been talking throughout the we 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 planned for, you know, the solo K contribution, and we had an idea what your wife makes or what your husband makes, and and, and your combined tax liability. So, we've we've been planning, no surprises. One thing I like what you said was in terms of educating the clients, and I. I've been, I'm not going to say on a crusade, but like I've been thinking a lot about in my industry, you know, there's a lot of people, especially on social, a lot of influencers saying we got to change the way the industry works. And one of the things you brought up hits on a point that I always think about, which is CPAs generally work. They have too many clients. And so the, the proactive advice, the education you're talking about, you can't give that to somebody because you've got to be on to the next. The tax return really at that stage for a CPA is a commodity. It's a, hey, I'm charging you by the hour for this. I need to get it done, get it billed, get it finished, and move on to the next one. But 
I, I, and so like you want to work in such a way with the clients where we educate you. So you ultimately become a better client. Have you experienced in terms of when you're getting the feedback from the clients, are they now saying like, they feel like they're, they know you're behind them, but they feel like they're now in a better position to make decisions and interpret the information because you're educating them along the way. Yeah. And taking that time. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, actually what you're describing in there kind of speaks to one of the reasons behind the model we took, because I, I mean, we could have gone the route and you, you can find firms out there that will do accounting and financial planning all in this under the same roof. So I could have just said, Hey, I want to start a firm where I'm doing the financial planning and the tax planning, but they're, they're two different skill sets. They're two different focuses. The collaboration is where we found kind of that, that magic balance of we can get the return done correctly. That's important. But then there's somebody on the the client's team, in this case, the financial advisor, who then is taking it those uh, forward-looking steps. But a- as we've taken this to, hey, let's do some education, and then for us, that year-round relationship means that we're their resource. That means that the taxpayer or the advisor can reach out to us and not worry about an extra surprise bill they weren't expecting. And the combination right. of those two things of taxpayers who, like I said, their response was, no one's ever explained this to me before, or we get more sophisticated people who will reach out and say, you know what? I think I can figure this out on my own, but you're probably going to do it faster, more accurately, and I'm going to get a better result. And I say, yep, that's exactly what's going to happen. Happy to help. <laughs> right. Yeah, I um, I love where you're going with the resources. Uh, one of the things I've kind of got, I think you probably saw it, I, I have in our Google Doc that I shared was, I'm not, I'm not even sure it has a name, but it's a listing. And I, w- I want you to kind of speak to this a little bit because I know seeing this, it brought me back to a, a situation with a client where this would have been very helpful from the financial advisor perspective. So it's a, I know people can't see this, but it's a basically a little simple chart that says the account name, number, tax form, and then notes. And what it's doing is it, it's, it's, uh, accumulating all the accounts of financial you have with a financial advisor, how they're going to be taxed or what they can expect. Kind of give us um, a little, little insight into that and how you came up with that. Cause I, I, I'm going to give a story at the end of this, but I thought that was super helpful as a CPA. Yeah. So for a little bit more background on where this firm came from, my business partners are financial advisors with decades of experience in this industry. And so some of the things we do come from very hard earned experience, very painful experience (laughs) of getting things wrong over and over again and saying, no, I'm done with this. How do we fix it? And so one of the things that you run into, again, speaking to, to what you had talked about earlier of the advantage of working together throughout the year. So there's no surprises that doesn't happen real often. So what advisors were finding is that they would do this planning with clients during the year, whether it's a solo 401k contribution or a qualified charitable distribution, whatever it is, there's planning throughout the year. And then we get to tax time. And it turns out that the tax code wasn't written by accountants. Um, Tax laws weren't written by accountants. Uh, We won't talk about who it was written by. We don't have enough time for that to get into politics. Uh, But none of this was built to set us up for success. And so a lot of tax forms don't actually give tax preparers the information they need to correctly do their job. And you mentioned it, that a lot of tax preparers are taking a volume approach. They want to get through as many as possible. So if they get a tax form that says, hey, uh, here's this $400,000 taxable distribution, they're going to mark it as taxable on the tax return, and they're going to move on. Now, uh, this, is, this is a true story, that that taxable distribution, taxable, we use sarcastic air quotes, was mislabeled by the, uh, by the custodian. And so it was right. supposed to be a rollover. They should have paid zero taxes, and instead they paid $80,000 in taxes. So that's where this letter you're talking about is coming from, yeah. of a 
an advisor being able to proactively say, hey, uh, Mrs. CPA, we work on we work with this shared client. Here are some things we did together during the year that I just want to make sure you knew about because I know that 1099s aren't always great for reporting these things. Right. So th- that's that's the motivation behind it. It's to help the client win. Yeah. Hey, maybe uh, explain this to me like I'm a five year old. Uh, <laughs> so eighty thousand dollars in taxes. That sounds. I mean, that's huge when you didn't have to pay a lot. So this guy had earned four hundred thousand dollars in uh, in a retirement account. Yeah, that's a great great clarification, Tyler. I get going too fast. So what had happened was well, and you're talking to a CPA who who knows who can who can <laughs> follow the shorthand. I'm over here like, wait, what happened? No, yeah. this is these are the questions we need. Yeah, this is this is great, Tyler. Uh, so what? So in this client situation, they had over the course of their career, they had been contributing to a 401k. And when they went to retire, they had $400,000 in a particular 401k. And so what often will happen is you leave your job uh, and you you want to be able to take that money with you, obviously, and keep control over it. And so you roll it from a 401k. It's called rolling. For, you put right. take it from a 401k and you put it in an individual retirement account or an IRA so that you still don't have to pay taxes on it yet, but, but you're keeping some control over it. And so what should happen is that the $400,000 comes out of your 401k goes into an IRA and the company who held your 401k issues a tax form called the 1099. And that's how they report that, hey, this money left our account. And then they're they're supposed to mark a little box that says, hey, this was a rollover and it's not taxable. They forgot to mark that box. Now, this, this wasn't an error on the tax preparer's side. They have no way of knowing. They got this really yeah. official looking form that says, hey, this is taxable, and they put it on there. And unfortunately, taxes are such a, a mysterious black box to most taxpayers that even the client was like, crap, it's, it, it, I guess it's just a bad year. I, I'll, I'll pay $80,000 extra in taxes. And, and that's just that's just back of the napkin math because if we assume about a 20% uh, right. tax rate, 400000 anyways, that's that's my, my CPA back of the na- napkin math there. And yeah. So what happened in that situation was client pays all the taxes, but this advisor, which this is something we work with advisors on all the time, is you have to get tax returns for all of your clients. So the advisor gets the tax return after it was filed, says, wait a second, why did you pay $80,000 more in taxes? And the client says, well, my tax preparer told me to. Advisor goes through, realizes what's happened, and now we're they're amending returns. And with the backlog the IRS has right now, I mean, you guys know this, amendments don't go fast. And so if you want the yeah. IRS to hold on to $80,000 for the next, I don't know, 12, 18 months, I mean, you're, you're welcome to do that. Th- th- this is why our team, as we partner with advisors, we send draft returns to the advisors to say, hey, is there anything you know about this client that we should know about that's not currently in here? Yeah, dude, that's so great. Like I, uh, two things that come to mind and you've been you've been hitting this hard on LinkedIn is one DIY tax prep. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Second thing, working. So working with someone throughout the year in both in both of those scenarios, if you're not doing your own taxes, generally could be could have maybe caught that, but not, you know, because like you said, the tax form was done incorrectly. So the tax the tax preparer just says, hey, it says it's taxable. I'm going to input it into the taxable box. And there we go. But if the tax but if you didn't take it a step further, and that tax preparer or really advisor has a relationship without you throughout with you throughout the year. Now, 
they know they, they are already, and like you're going to be doing, you're expecting what the returns are already going to look like. You kind of have an idea in your mind, like, okay, these, they made, you know, 250,000 this year. Wait, why does it say 650? I mean, immediately. So I think one thing I, I hope people leave with is, you know, when we talk about this all the time, like it's so much more costly to do things yourself. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but the mistakes you make, the boxes you don't know to check or uncheck, the, the activities you don't know are passive or non-passive. Like Tyler and I talked about this all the time. We had, we had an episode where we were literally defining passive and to you and I, Steven, right? Passive. We know what passive income means to everybody else in the world. Passive is mailbox money. It's, it's, it's got all these other terms. So my point is you don't know what you don't know. The professionals do. It's so much cheaper to let the professionals do it. Yeah. yeah to, to that end, I'll ask now that you guys have scared everybody into unexpected, um, you know, tax bills, what, you know, what are the list of types of accounts that if we have, we should be on the lookout for? Uh, you mentioned 401ks and IRAs. Is there anything else? Uh, it's probably not helpful to say all of them. Uh, the the IRS wants their piece of everything. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the advantages of doing, we, we call it a 1099 letter because that's the tax form that prompts a lot of this, but we, we constantly work with advisors on here's how you effectively communicate with CPAs. So for anybody in your audience who works with a financial advisor, if they're not doing this and most likely they're not point them to retirementtaxservices.com. We'll get them these resources so they can and start helping you more. But because it's such a long list of things that can create taxable events, whether it's uh, a brokerage account, which is our fancy word for a lot of times, like your, your investment portfolio. And it doesn't matter if it's a fancy one with Fidelity or Schwab, or you're doing it on Robinhood. Uh, if, if you're buying and selling just about anything, the IRS wants their piece, the interest from the bank, uh, the, the IRS wants their piece. Anytime you're making money, whether that's because you started a business or someone else pays you or you're driving for Uber on the weekends, the IRS wants their money uh, and they're, they're going to come, they're going to come after it. <laughs> gotcha. So even if it has a reputation of like, I know I've kind of done that mentally, right? Like it with my, with my accounts that I know are tax deferred, like retirement accounts, I tend to not worry about the reporting of those as much as I'm like, oh, they're, the IRS doesn't care, <laughs> the tax yeah. deferred. But it does sound like there's, you know, I know I hand, I hand documents over, so I guess it's the 1099s and yeah. those so, things. So when we're working with advisors on this, we, we basically insist that, that you're not just including accounts that a taxpayer will receive a report for you're including everything and you're letting them know, Hey, for this 401k account, you're not going to get anything this year because it's easy to get lulled into this false sense of security. And then something changes in life. Uh, you, you leave a job and you roll it. it, You're not even to retirement yet. You roll it to another 401k and something gets miscommunicated about whether those were Roth 401k dollars or traditional 401k dollars. And inadvertently people are creating taxable events and they're not realizing it. And then they get a nasty gram from the IRS two years later that says, Hey, you never reported this. Now you owe taxes and penalties and interest. So happy birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Uh, like I said, that chart that you, that you had, which listed the account name, number tax form, because I can speak to the, to both sides of this. I had a client recently and, uh, it was a financial advisor I was working with. And again, he didn't know this. And so I'll I'll try to keep this fairly high level, but basically 
doing a backdoor Roth conversion. And so not to get too much into the details, but when you, when you make a, when you can't Show contribute off. to a Roth, yeah. <laughs> when you can't contribute to a Roth IRA, right. Well, I shouldn't be the one even explaining this. Steven should be, but anyway, you can, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA. You contribute to a traditional and immediately convert it. Okay. Well, the problem in doing that is if you don't know if you have other deferred money somewhere out there, an old 401k that you rolled over to an IRA, something like that, it can affect that transaction. Basically, it can make it taxable, all of it taxable, not all of it, but almost all of it taxable, some of it taxable. And so when I saw that that little document, that little table you had, I said, this would be great to know because I could tell the clients that I work with where I work with their financial advisor, hey, I know this client makes a lot of money and they want to contribute to a Roth. And the background is once you make too much money, you can't even put in a Roth, but you could do this backdoor. But I could say, hey, you really can't do that because it's not going to have the desired effect you have, which is a non-taxable transaction. So, well, <coughs> excuse me, long story short is that the more details you can give, like Stephen said, around, hey, I have this 401k, but don't worry about it, nothing's happening. Or I have this old IRA that's been dormant, but it's got 50,000 bucks. It was my job when I worked in my 20s. Like, again, as a taxpayer, you don't know what you don't know. And these little details affect things. And so I, I love what you guys are doing in the sense that just everywhere around the relationship from CPA to financial advisor of adding value. Yeah, we were having a great time with it. It uh, the, the feedback we're getting, like I said, is phenomenal. Uh, one of the things that we found and just kind of proven to ourselves over and over again is that taxes are much more emotional than money in general for people. We all know that money is emotional for us, but th this came up several times just in the last couple of weeks as we're wrapping up the tax season where I'm looking at a tax return with a, with a client and, and it's almost just kind of a blip on their radar that they made an extra $100,000 this year, which I'm trying to celebrate with them of congratulations, whatever hard work or whatever their situation was, you earned a lot more money. That's exciting. What they focused in on is how we save them a thousand dollars in taxes. They were over the moon that they got to pay the IRS a thousand dollars less in taxes. And they almost were indifferent to the extra money they earned because there's, there's just this pain for us of having to pay more than we owe. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and then I can also speak to the expectation part of that, that same client. If you told them early in the year, hey, I think you're going to owe 10000 and they owe seven. Great. They love you. Well, my if wife, for example, she <laughs> uh, she writes prayer journals, but she want to hear a curse. Tell her how much, you know, <laughs> she, she owes in taxes whenever Marcus, you know, calls and lets her know it's it's ugly. Yeah, it's no, yeah. it's uh, you, you definitely emotional yeah. is the right word, <laughs> right. right? So, so Stephen, kind of give us, you know, we've kind of talked around the background, you guys' philosophy of adding value, working with working with the clients throughout the year, helping the financial advisors really coach their clients. Kind of give us some high level, you know, some some takeaways for the small business owner, the high income earner, some tax tax planning kind of strategies or or things you're doing on the retirement side to help out clients. Yeah. Um, how much time you got? We got a couple hours, right? I can go real deep on these. I got eight to 10 minutes here on the overview. We'll keep a high level. So you, yeah. you mentioned backdoor Roth contributions. Those are powerful, powerful tool. Definitely something you don't want to do on your own. If you're, if you're listening to this and you prepare your own taxes and you're thinking about, Hey, backdoor Roth sounds interesting. Now is the time 
to pay a couple hundred extra bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever it is to have someone else help you. It's going to make a big difference. So that, that's a huge one we work on. Uh, specific to uh, small business owners, uh, one that we have a lot of fun with is the Augusta rule. I don't know how much time you'd uh, spend with, with yep. clients on that. It, it's definitely one that it's going to be incremental change over time. We're, we're not going to save a million dollars in a year. Uh, but if we get the system in place, it's really easy to do it. Uh, and the, the really high level idea is that as long as you're renting your house for less than 14 days, uh, you can, you can collect rent, uh, income tax free. And anytime I can get tax free money, I'm going to take it. And as a small business owner, you can actually rent it to your own business, which is yeah. extra fun. Um, so, so that's one that we have a good time with, with small business owners, uh, that I, that I like to make sure is coming up. One that I've taught, I've been talking to advisors about recently is the, uh, I, the approach of making sure that where possible, especially we're dealing with S Corp, somebody who's already got payroll going, that we're getting kids on the payroll. Yep. And th th this is a fun one for me when I'm, especially with live groups, because you can see kind of the difference in, in approach here. Uh, I'll, I'll bring this up and someone will say, well, yeah, once kids are 16 and old enough to work, we can put them on the payroll. So while that just depends on how you define what their role at the company is, because right. I work with people in California, and so they're real familiar with the idea of um, marketing and modeling and advertising. And so, great. We've got to have a legitimate business purpose. I want to make that really clear. You, I better yeah. see. I better see your kid's face on your brochure if you're going to tell me that you hire them as a model. But we can hire kids of all sorts of ages. Get them on the payroll. Start funding Roth accounts for them because now they have earned income. There's all sorts of fun things we can do. Yeah, it's funny you say that because just recently I, I did a little tax planning around that myself, um, where I'd set up a. a somewhat of like my, my wife helps a lot with our marketing, our branding kind of in tandem with Tyler. And so I set up a separate, a separate company, you know, my company's going to pay a, a, a consulting fee to that company. She's on that payroll, but my wife literally goes, well, you know, you know, my daughter who's 10, because kind of back to your point, you got to have legitimate work for what they can do. Absolutely. My daughter who's 10 is like a whiz now on Canva and makes videos all the time. And so I'm already starting to think like, I'm a CPA. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm uber aggressive, but I take advantage of the tax code. And like, there's legitimate work I can get her to do. And just as you said, pay her. Now she's got earned income. Now I get to start her with a Roth IRA at 10 years old, you know? So, um, just kind of those, those low hanging fruit type of things you can do with your clients. But again, it goes back to, they've got to be working with you. They have to know your situation. They don't know your situation. We could mention this in passing and maybe we'll do it next year. A lot easier to do if we're working together kind of throughout the year. And so, um, yeah, I think we might've even, did we do an episode on kids on the payroll, Tyler? Mm -hmm. It was almost like yeah. a whole episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of good stuff around that. And I think Tyler's question earlier really reinforces why working with a professional can be so valuable. Of All of this information we're talking about is on Google. Like, I don't want to ruin this for, for your audience, but Marcus so far has not shared any proprietary information. Google will tell you all of it, but Google's going to tell you 17 million other things as well. And most of it's going to be in a way that doesn't make any sense. And so yeah. the value of having a professional is getting to what does this this mean for me? Yeah. yeah. Steven, I was curious when you were talking about kind of these different angles and some of them we've, we've hit on different times in the podcast. Is there any unique tax advantages or breaks or things like when you hit, um, like 
either retirement classification or fixed income or a like is there any things that kind of like kick in that wouldn't be i'm kind of thinking like okay you know how you can get like when you have kids those are like you're treated differently is there anything else that happens like that later in life yeah, so we're actually something we're working on for the advisors who are in our community of our basically our special IRS birthdays. Because and, and don't get excited, you don't you don't get presents. But there are there are certain ages where the IRS does start kind of presenting different things we've got to think about, and some of them can be advantages. So when we start like when we hit like fifty and fifty five, we start having catch up contributions where we can put more into four hundred one ks and IRAs and HSAs. Get all of my TLAs out there. TLA three letter acronym cpa jokes i know um yeah so so there are some ages like that uh i what what surprises a lot of people is that more than anything as you get to retirement taxes actually get more complicated there's there are some things that we can do like qualified charitable distributions being able to contribute directly from a retirement account to a charity that's something that has an age restriction to it but in general our life gets more complicated as we get to retirement because now we can claim social security but wait they never tell us that we can withhold taxes from that even though we're going to have to pay taxes on it we've got required minimum distributions uh there usually life gets a little bit more complicated than people are are expecting when they get to retirement. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned a thing, and I want to, I want to, I want to maybe see if you drill down on a little bit of this, because I love the charitable distribution from an IRA to meet your RMD. Yeah. Um, it's just speak to that a little bit. Give what a little bit RMD? more. Yeah. Required know, required minimum distribution is yeah. an RMD. Okay. So once you hit age seventy two, which it, it, until a couple of years ago it was seventy and a half. But it's it's 72 now. Once you hit age 72, the IRS has run out of patience for their piece of the pie, and all that tax deferred money you had, the IRS starts saying we want some every single year. And as you get older, they want more and more of it because, well, that's how they set it up. And so that's that, so an RMD is that that mandatory. You've got to take some of this money so the IRS can have their piece. Now. Uh, especially people who prepare really well for retirement will get to age 72 and they won't need that additional distribution every year. They don't need that. Well, let's call it $50,000 for a round number. Uh, so they so they say, okay, the IRS is telling me I have to take out $50,000 and pay taxes on it. I don't need it for my cash flow. So what are some alternatives to maybe not then pay $10,000 plus to the IRS? So one uh, of the I things didn't know that exists, that seems so horrible (laughs) but anyway it exists so i get it keep keep going yeah (laughs) so there's there's a few things we can do to plan ahead for required minimum distributions one of those things is to try to get as much of that money to roth as we can, which uh, Roth is just, basically it's our tax-free bucket. So we we intentionally pay taxes now, so we won't have to pay taxes later. But once we're once we're getting to retirement, one of the only options available to us to take that required minimum distribution and satisfy the IRS and not pay taxes is if we take that money and give it directly to charity. It's called a qualified charitable distribution or a QCD. Now. One of the one of the reminders I always like to throw out here is that this is only a good idea if you were already charitably inclined. You yeah, are never going to come out ahead by spending a dollar to save twenty two cents. 
It just it doesn't work like that. And if you'd like to yeah. do that, I will take your money all day long. And every dollar <laughs> you give me, I will give you twenty two cents. So uh, wait, so come on, Stephen. You, you're, you're saying you're saying <laughs> that 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 sixty thousand dollars SUV that I buy. It doesn't save me sixty thousand in taxes. It only saves me like twenty four, and I still have to pay thirty six. Mm, that's that's gonna be a saying? whole other podcast episode. You guys have already done that one. <laughs> one, we've, one we've covered. Uh, oh gosh, that, that one comes back up yeah. every year. But yeah, uh, just one other quick interesting thing about the QCD is that they didn't change the age on that one, so you can still start doing those at seventy and a half. So you can kind of start preparing for those required minimum distributions. Uh, and so if you have those charities you love to support, we can start paying that money directly to those great organizations and and leave the IRS out of it. Yep. I, look, I've got a real world example, a, a 20 second example of a client who their RMD required minimum distribution. I, th- I think we'll call it $30,000 is what it is. Well, they're, uh, they're charitable. And we just say, look, divert your charitable, don't your charitable giving to this. And so they just, they send, it's gotta be from one trustee to another. You can't touch the money, go from directly from the, uh, for they call it the, uh, IRA to the charity. You don't touch it. But the beauty of it is they weren't going to be able to deduct the 30000 or very lit, a, a little bit of it based on how the itemized deductions work. And so now they essentially get to deduct the amount that's coming out as an IRA di- uh, distribution. So really cool tool. Um, that we're seeing a lot of clients use, you know, uh, got to be the right, you know, got to be the right age, got to have a retirement account, got to be subject to RMDs. But, um, really need if you're working with somebody that can help you. Well, I feel like nonprofits should like advertise that the same way, like car salesmen's advertise, like, Oh, the uh, the SUV, buy the SUV, get a ride off, get your return. And, um, (laughs) you know, as your down payment or whatever, I've seen it a handful of times, but not real often. The, the other big advantage I'll throw in really quick of the, of the qualified charitable distribution back to your question, Tyler, of kind of what happens as you start getting towards retirement. One of the things that people miss on their taxes is that it impacts how much your Medicare costs you that as your, as your adjusted gross income or modified adjusted gross income, but as a particular number on your tax return goes up, you're going to pay more in Medicare premiums every year. And if we pay our required minimum distributions through uh, QCDs, uh, it'll actually lower that number they use for our Medicare threshold, and we can help clients avoid paying too much in Medicare. And so there, this, this is how interwoven all of this stuff is, and all the more reason to find somebody who can help you with it. Yeah. How, how often is this stuff changing? Is it like every administration or is this stuff that's been the same way, like, you know, for decades? So pieces of the tax code, pieces of the tax code change every single year. There's things that are expiring or sunsetting or coming into effect. There's little things that change every year. The tax brackets, as far as when the, the rates change, get adjusted every year for inflation. Um, but there's some pieces of the tax code that get adjusted for inflation and other pieces people pieces that don't. The last major change was 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which will expire in 2025. And so we, even if Congress does nothing the next few years, probably unlikely, uh, we know that rates are going up in 2026. Yeah, that's the Trump Trump tax cuts for, I think, most people know know if if, sort of in that retirement zone, like you said, it does sound like there's a lot of moving parts. It is more complicated. I didn't know how often those those parts get moved um, compared to just kind of what affects the general general population. 
Yeah, unfortunately, there, there's no real like rhythm to it because yeah, there, yeah. there's been some big changes the last couple of years uh, around how inherited IRAs work, and they're still trying to sort out how those rules are going to be handled. Uh, there's talks about getting rid of the backdoor Roth contribution, but my crystal ball doesn't work any better than yours, so I have no idea if they'll follow through on all of that. Yeah. Uh, th- th- there's always talk about how they're going to change this or that or the next thing, and every major headline, of course, then kind of spooks people and gets Congress talking. And so you, I, what I tell clients is we're going to do, we're going to make the best plan we can with the information we have today based on the current rules. And then we're going to work together to adjust if they change things. Yeah. And so you can. All right, Steven. Yeah. Before, we, before we go, give us, give us one um, client story, you know, don't name names and don't, don't throw anybody under the bus here, but something you've seen that you go, God, I wish you wouldn't have done that, man. If you'd have been working with us, we could have, we could have caught that before you did that. Something, something that everybody can relate to that, that, that they might do if they weren't working with somebody like yourself. Let's, let's go with a simple one so that it's something that that, that people can relate to. Uh, let's talk about estimated taxes. A couple of things around estimated taxes. One, I work with people as often as I can to do withholdings instead of estimated taxes because the IRS gives favorable treatment to them. Mm-hmm. But before we go, let's <laughs> let's help me out here. Estimated taxes meaning like estimating what you owe in your taxes and paying that quarterly. Yeah, that was to, our last episode. To, to really simplify it, if you if you work for someone else, they're taking the taxes out and paying them on your behalf. If yeah. you if you own a business, most likely your only option is making estimated payments, and because the, the IRS right. expects us to pay as we go throughout the year. Okay. So, yeah. So, so the quarterly estimated taxes for I'm I'm tracking with you now. Yeah. Okay. So so quick pro tip because a big pain point I see is um, estimated taxes getting forgotten or or misapplied by the IRS or getting lost those kinds of things. Ooh. So. Yeah. Estimated payments absolutely have to be made online. Uh, we actually we took the time to, to do a step-by-step how-to guide for all of uh, the advisors and taxpayers we work with just to make this as simple as possible. Have to get paid online. The IRS has way too much of a backlog. Things get lost in the mail. And then my pro tip is going to be as you make your quarterly payments, just change the dollar amount by $1 to correspond with the quarter that you're paying so that if something gets lost or misapplied, we can really easy, easily identify which one it was. So, for example, if your estimated taxes every quarter are $1,000, Q1 on April 15th for Q1, April 18th this year, I guess, you're going to pay $1,001. Q2 in June, you're going to pay $1,002. And I know that sounds stupid simple, but it makes a huge difference. Well, now we know why the IRS is backlogged. I mean, they're, they're trying to sort out where all your clients are. Like, trying to figure out what payments are Steven's clients, where they go. I'll take it. I'll take it. I will hang a plaque that says, I caused a backlog. Yeah. Send, send them your, uh, your cheat sheet, man. You need yeah. to send in the payments with the decoder. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, mentioned that because actually, like, I'm I'm thinking like that's a great idea. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna incorporate that. And then the withholding piece, which you mentioned, that withholding is deemed to be done rateably throughout the year. So yeah. I think Tyler, you and I've talked about that. Where with estimated taxes, you can, you know you're there's it's a pay as you go system. Stephen mentioned that you're supposed to pay your taxes as you go. The quarterly dates are funky, um, so you're supposed to pay essentially a fourth per quarter, but kind of not. Um, but if you do withholding, you could do 
all of your withholding on December 31st, and it's deemed to have been done rateably throughout the year, and thus could avoid some estimated tax penalties because you're deemed to have paid in first, second, third, and fourth quarter. Uh, so that's a really great tip as well. What do you mean so, do uh, all of your withholding. So, like, let, let's put some numbers to it. Let's just say. Let's just say you're you're going to make you you make a hundred thousand dollars from your business and your salary that you take from your business. So the two combined are a hundred grand. And let's just say your salary from that business of the hundred is sixty thousand dollars. What you might do is normally on sixty thousand, and let's just say you're in a make the math easier in a twenty five percent tax bracket. Just to normally you wouldn't withhold twenty five thousand on a sixty thousand dollar wage. But you know, if you if you're if you're working with somebody that knows sixty grand's not the extent of my earnings, the extent of my earnings are just really a hundred thousand dollars, sixty W two and forty net from my business. So I'm going to withhold twenty five thousand on a sixty thousand dollars salary. That pays my taxes on all of the hundred, and it's deemed to have been done throughout the year, no matter if I did that withholding on December 31st or January 1st. So, so when you say withholding, you mean like write a check to the IRS? No, no, no. Withhold no. from your pay, like like we do with, with you and, and we, we use Gusto, just yeah, withhold okay. it from the wage you're taking, pay it in, okay. and you're deemed to have done that all throughout the year, because the IRS has no way to know I guess they could find out, but they don't say, oh, your withholding was done on December 31st. They just say, oh, it's on your W-2. It must have been done rateably throughout the year. So it's a really cool tool. Okay. <laughs> Take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephen, this has been awesome, man. I uh, really appreciate it. If people want to find out more about you, what you guys are doing at Retirement Tax Services, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so I'm really active on LinkedIn. Uh, our website, retirementtaxservices.com, is really more focused towards advisors. But I also have a consumer-facing podcast. It's called the Retirement Tax Podcast. Uh, myself and my co-host, who is a financial advisor, we talk a lot about um, consumer-facing, taxpayer-facing tax topics. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely how you can learn some more about me. And that's a good I – will, I will give a plug for that. I listened to it before I reached out to Stephen and was the reason I did reach out because it's really, really informative, well done, and uh, you should check that out. So, Stephen, appreciate it, man. This has been yeah. great. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Good deal. As always, you can check out more information at mirror.group as well as the other podcasts are available there. And uh, we'll put uh, Stephen's uh, links, LinkedIn, and his podcast in our show notes as well. So you can uh, click to follow him there. All right. See you guys next time. See you.